Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Calling Tau City. Turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm moving, waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 666. Oh, yes, the number of the beast. Yes, we certainly have. Tell you what's coming in the day show. We have the main fiction, which is Monkey Talk by T. Lucas Earl. Then we have Andy Thomaswick with his Hugo Reviews. Now, Andy doesn't drop these very often. So this is special, special show, 666. That's all coming in today's show. I do hope you'll stick around and enjoy it. So first up there, it's a nice early morning. It's a gorgeous day outside. I just want peace and quiet and I can't get it. You know, now I'm, I don't know if anyone knows, I'm (laughs) semi-retired. I'm I'm part-time. From my, you know, I work for the in the water industry there, and I've done that. I don't know, thirty five, thirty six years. But now I'm, I'm semi retired. There, I'm, I'm part time, and it's lovely, man. I like I work about two, three days a week. I still work in the kind of a rotor system and all that, but but anyway, plenty more time on my hands. And today. There's too many people in the house and I needed to get it recorded and dogs are making and dogs are barking, dogs are crying. Man, man, man. But anyway, they, them two haven't got anything in common. <laughs> I just thought I'd tell you that I am part-time there now. So please, drop us an email, say hello. So, like I say, first up is the main fiction, Monkey Talk by 
T. Lucas Earl. This story was first published in Electric Spec way back in 2011. T. Lucas Earl is a writer, filmmaker and musician. His fiction has appeared in Electric Spec, Coloured Lens, Razor Literary Magazine, Baltimore Review and New Myths. His dark comedy, Abduction, premiered in Elliot Short Fest in 2013. His most recent film, in which he also played the lead, Up Next. You can view both his film on his website and on YouTube. And there's a link there to T. Lucas Earl's website. Yes! Now this story is narrated by T.F. Ahmed. Ahmed is T.F. Ahmed is a writer, narrator from Chicago. His fiction has been published in Dark Futures, Soiled Magazine. I love that title of a magazine. His non-fiction has been published in the Chicago Monitor and Archiser. He narrated stories for Tales to Terrify, and he podcasts his own fiction on the Night Bulletin podcast. And you also can hire T.F. Ahmed over on Fiverr.com if you want to do some voiceover work. There, link in the show notes. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. Monkey Talk by T. Lucas Earl Stepping down from the podium, I remember why I don't give guest lectures in Boston. Something about their Irish roots makes the people here awfully intolerant. While I'm up there, introducing a whole new field of cybernetic technology and its moral implications, they're all focusing on the way my lips move, eyeing the lines on my forehead, scrutinizing the slight wiggling of my ears, like they've never seen a monkey talk before. I step into the lift, and I check my watch. As if my flap of a lecture wasn't enough, I'm going to be late for my first meeting with my new assistant. I hate being late. The doors slide shut, and I check behind me. While I traditionally enjoy the comforts of solitude, American lifts are not very comforting. They put their floor buttons so damn high. I approach the towering button panel and try to use my cane to bash the 11th floor button. After a moment or two, I hear a bell, and the door opens. In walks some hip undergrad with deep Nordic roots, sporting an absurd and frankly distracting digital overlay. Colors whiz around her like those giant dragon puppets on Chinese New Year. Politely, I ask her to hit the 11th floor for me. She presses it with the glowing smile of a good Samaritan helping a poor old crippled monkey. I'm so embarrassed. My assistant, luckily, is British and doesn't stare at me as if I were a child's toy. It is clear that she has already mastered the art of looking down at someone without appearing to look down her nose. Professor Towery. She offers me her right hand, holding her tiny computer in the other. It rests daintily between her two fingers, like a lit cigarette or a playing card. Her black skirt is tight and short. Her outfit would be far more flattering in red, but I'm sure she knows this. She's some striking mashup of Chinese, Eastern European, and what looks like a faint hint of Middle Eastern. Good day, Ms. Lu, I say. I'm glad you could come on such short notice. It's a shame what happened to Mrs. Taff. My condolences. She has been greatly missed, I reply tersely, then continue down the hall. But as you can see, quickly replaced. I fear I am nearly useless without a strong, well-organized woman to keep me in line. Well, I hope I won't disappoint. As do I. I push open the main door to the cybernetics lab and hold it ajar for Ms. Lou. She follows timidly, 
still wielding her tiny computer as if she might need to hurl it like a throwing star at some assailant. She sits down in the chair I offer her. She looks as if she has something to say, but doesn't speak. Ms. Lu, while I value someone with a concise manner of speech and an appreciation of tact, I do not condone self-censorship, especially in these first few days when we are just learning one another's operational rhythms. I flinch slightly as I recall telling Mrs. Taff a very similar thing on her first day. I hope she is not peering up from her grave, thinking I'm a fraud. A cheating monkey. I was just thinking that the other day I met a young chimp with the same last name as yours. I was wondering... You were wondering if we were related. I jump onto a nearby counter and begin rooting through the diagnostic tools. Yes and no. We are not likely biologically related, but certainly legally so. There are only 14 family names among my people. The Towerys are named after Dr. Greg Towery, the inventor of the speech augmentation chip. It is common for me to meet relatives I've never heard of. She has that not-going-to-say-what-I'm-thinking look again, but catches herself before I comment. Doesn't that lead to a lot of intermarriage? Quite so, but my people do not look down on intermarriage. Marrying one's cousins is quite common, due to the fact that we do not have biological children, and thus are not concerned with genetic defects. After assembling the necessary supplies, I hop down on the floor again and put them in my briefcase. Right. You adopt. Not exactly. It's more like we designed them. Well, I don't. I would be a terrible father. She nods, believing this to be enough information. Well, I say, I've got what I came here for. I think I'm ready to go home. That night, I dream of Moira. Her eyes are harsh, colorless. Her fingers are long and smooth. She reaches out and touches me, but I don't feel her. She opens the door to the bathroom and her feet splash on the floor. She is towering over me, pulling me along. I try to break away, but I can't. She starts the bath and stares at me. I wake up in the sink of my hotel room, the water running, the moon waiting outside my window. I turn off the water and scratch my head. The moon is a pale blue. I wonder if it's the real moon, not a digital overlay. I step down from the sink and trudge over to the linen closet. Scrubbing my head, I return to my mattress, which is now a royal mess. Apparently, I had piled all the blankets in the corner, like a feral nest. I sit down in my nest and hold my head in my hands. My feet ache. I feel like screaming and howling and tearing apart anything I can. I must have forgot to take my evening pills. The next morning, sitting on the bathroom counter, I've donned a suit and brushed my teeth. Outside, the rain is assaulting my window. Here, the rain is awkward, out of place. Not like in London, where it wanders around comfortably like a friend to whom you've given the keys to your flat. My bags are packed. I'm quite excited to get the hell out of this country. A knock at the door startles me more than I'd like to admit. I trot on all fours to the door and pull it open. Ms. Lou is dressed in a lush, forest green suit today. Nice outfit, I say, while I amble back to the bathroom. Are you looking forward to returning home? Our flight was cancelled, she says abruptly. I lean out of the bathroom. I can't quite articulate my anger, so I just frown in a general way and then sigh heavily. It's the storm, she continues. It's supposed to get a lot worse. Most likely, we won't be able to catch a flight until Monday. Four days. I'm going to be sick. Why do you detest this country so much? 
Ms. Lou says, sitting on the corner of my bed, sipping tea. It's dirty and arrogant and generally rubbish, I reply from the kitchen. Well, so is England. Yes, but I sit down on my suitcase and sip at my coffee. Take MIT, for example. I did a lecture there yesterday, which no one even attempted to grasp, being too distracted by my appearance to pay attention. Mind you, MIT is where the first of my kind was born. The very place that created my species has become foreign to us. Are you sure? I know when someone is staring at me, and why they are staring. In England, at Cambridge, no one gawks. There are chimps in the audience. So, you prefer England just because there are more chimps? Of course. Is that abnormal, somehow? No. She adjusts her position, crossing her porcelain smooth legs. I just wanted to hear you say it. Ah. I stand up, realizing I need to take my morning pills. You know, the first time I came to this country was with my previous assistant, Mrs. Taff. When I arrived, a young man with digital hair ablaze, standing in line before me, began to discuss the status of evolution among humans. After a long, pseudo-intellectual rant, he made a remark about how monkeys are not as evolved as humans, as if there were some scale of evolution with humans at the top. So, what did you do? I take the pills while in the kitchen, then return to the bedroom. I told him one of my colleagues, a fellow chimp, was an evolutionary biologist and would disagree. Ms. Liu chuckles a bit. And what did he say? High five. Come again? He offered me a high five. She looks me up and down for a moment. Soon, she'll get it. When she does, she says, Oh, that's awful. I blow on my cup of coffee. She sips her tea, keeping it close to her lips, like she's hiding behind it. We decide that as long as we're stranded on this semi-civilized garbage heap, we might as well enjoy some food. I let Ms. Lou choose the restaurant and tell her I will cover the meal. She makes ironic jokes about me trying to seduce her, and I attempt to articulate my discomfort non-verbally. Sitting under dim, sepia-tinted LED lights, surrounded by rich, dark wooden walls which make her lush outfit seem more fitting. She's nervous, and she's drinking red wine, so she's dropped some of her reserve. The more we chat, the more I am aware of how similar this place is to where Moira and I had our first dinner. I try not to picture Moira where Ms. Lou sits. I try not to imagine her sad gray eyes peeking over a grainy sepia menu. The waiter arrives to take our orders. I order an eggplant caponata with whole grain crackers and gruyere while she orders the beef carpaccio. But before the waiter has a chance to leave, I grab hold of his apron. Still maintaining steady eye contact with Ms. Lou, I hold the waiter in place. Is something wrong? The waiter asks. Yes, I say, still looking at Ms. Lou, who is now undoubtedly searching through her last few comments to find something that may have offended me. My assistant would like to change her order. I'm sorry, she says. Possibly something without meat in it, I suggest, calmly. Oh dear. She quickly looks down at her menu. Uh, the fettuccine Alfredo, she says. Please. The waiter nods and looks at me skeptically. Then he turns and heads off. I'm so sorry. It didn't occur to me, she falters, once he's out of earshot. It rarely does. She catches her breath, as if to speak, then straightens her back and sits, silently. Again, Ms. Lou, I have been consistently forthright with you. I would appreciate reciprocation. 
Well, I just can't help but think it is a natural desire, that it isn't necessarily immoral. Even chimps in the wild eat other animals. Firstly, I am not in the wild, nor are you. I was not designed, entirely, by evolution. So, I have the choice to not eat meat. You yourself also have that choice. Secondly, I ask you to tell me what the distinction is between that beef carpaccio and, say, my nephew. She sits in silence for a moment, then decides that she will speak her mind openly. The cattle doesn't understand what is happening to them. They may. We would not know because they cannot protest, I say. Yet. She frowns and averts her eyes. A frown does not become you, I say. I didn't intend to upset you, but I cannot stress enough to you that we are all animals. And the only reason we excuse the eating of other animals is because they have yet to step forward and ask us not to, in a language we understand. She smiles a little. She surely notices the exhilaration that has overcome me in the heat of philosophic discussion. She nods and decides to change the subject. The change of topic to biochemistry is a relief, and we hold to it until the waiter comes with our food. After we begin eating, she drops one of those inevitably awkward questions, the kind of question you bury beneath mountains of small talk but still cannot hide, the one that anyone can tell has been on your mind all night. I was wondering, and I hope you don't mind me asking, why did your last assistant, er, commit suicide? I explained that Moira had marital problems. I say she was complicated. I bullshit. It must have been very hard for you. I make do, and, hopefully, I'll have some help. A new assistant, for example. She smiles warmly and looks down at her food. Were you and Moira, I mean, Mrs. Taff, quite close? Yes, more than you can imagine. No, we were professionally joined at the hip, but aside from that, I had very little insight into her personal life. We chat until the bill comes, then we grab our coats and make our way to the streets where the rain has become waves of hail. Through the windows of the taxi, the thick night hides behind layers of crystal-beaded curtains, a heavenly glow emanating from the city streets where the hail bounces and dances along the pavement. That night, I dream of Charlie, the atom of my people, my great-great-great-grandfather, sitting in his little white chair, as he does in all those graffiti stencils and inspirational posters. He discusses the morality of carnivorous lifestyles with his captors and plays his famous game of chess with the president. Then he looks right at me and asks, Have you showered today? I wake up, this time in the bathtub, with the shower running. All the hotel room pillows, as well as my suitcase, surround me. The walls are offensively white. I can't seem to catch a full breath of air. I crawl out of the tub and make my way to the kitchen. I find my pills scattered all over the kitchen counter and pop one in my mouth. There is a knock at the door. Towery, comes the melodic voice of Ms. Lou. Are you in today? I look at my computer terminal, which reads 11 a.m. The news broadcast tells me the hostages in Perth were all killed and the cheetah is now officially extinct. Tauri? Yes, I'm here. I quickly run to my dresser and grab a pair of new khakis and a white button-down. May I come in? My room looks like a monkey took it apart in a fit of rage. I grab a pullover and slip it on. Just, um... Next, a tie. Why don't I just, um... I grab the door handle and turn it. Then I stop. Almost forgot my cane. I rush back to the kitchen and find it leaning against the counter. I turn around again. Ms. Lou stands in the doorway, clutching the doorknob, surveying the landscape. What on earth happened? 
Let's go out for lunch, I respond. But your room? The maids can deal with it. How? She stares at me. She doesn't look so much shocked as sad. Don't you dare pity me. She opens her mouth for a second. For once, I wish she'd hold her tongue. Do you have Cohen's disease? She asks. She must have done her research. How about that place you recommended on Newbury? She stares intently at me for a moment, then finally eases up. Uh, no. You see, I received an invite today for you. I've been invited to something? Yes. It's a reception at the banquet hall in the Sheraton, she says. Yes, but what is it for? She looks down at her tiny computer. She adjusts her glasses. The Association for Ethical Genetic Engineering. I can't help but laugh. And they want me? A chimp? Yes, she says. I think it's because of your work on nonlinear cyber integration. They mentioned your essay. Why didn't I know about this till now? Well, they sent me the invite a while ago, she rubs her brow. I'm sorry, but I've only been your assistant for two days, so there's a lot of backmail to sort through. I'm sorry. Let's go then, I say. When is it? Soon. Less than an hour. I nod and motion for her to lead the way. Her eyes momentarily betray her, and she scans the disheveled room once more before leaving. We take a cab in uncomfortable silence. The taxi driver is a Navajo-African mix. He speaks with an East Texas accent. I want to ask him what he's doing in Boston, but he might ask me the same. I wonder if anyone belongs in this armpit of a city. Ms. Lou tells the Mater D we are on the invite list. He looks down at me. He smiles. He's a Northern European mutt with a bit of Basque thrown in. He then looks at the list. Hmm, he says through his nose. Mr. Towery, I take it? I nod. We have a policy, he says. You must wear shoes, sir. I look down, stunned. I don't own shoes. I sometimes wear a special pair of gloves when I take long walks, but I must have misplaced them. Are you joking? Miss Lou asks. No, we have a stringent policy about shoes, the Mater D says. Miss Lou looks down at me. I guess we'll just have to skip this particular event, she says through gritted teeth. I stare at my feet, my second pair of hands, my hairy, disgusting monkey hands. No, I say. The Mater D looks at me, curiously. I would like to spend my afternoon somewhere foul, somewhere completely devoid of decency. This would be the ideal establishment. I can't let you in, sir. We have policies, he says. Ms. Lou begins to speak, but I just walk past the Mater D. Sir, he shouts. Ms. Lou follows me cautiously, as if I might explode at any moment. What are you doing? There's no point in staying here, Ms. Lou says, looking around, her cheeks turning a deep red. She looks stunning. The guests notice me, not just for the short stature and hairiness. They notice my rebellion. Ms. Lou looks as if she's forgotten how to speak. Let's start with some wine. I raise my hand. Waiter? I look around. There must be a waiter somewhere around here, but no waiter comes. A man in a suit approaches, accompanied by the Mater D. The suited man nods to me politely. He's too confident to be a grunt. Hello, he says. You must be the manager, I respond. He nods again. We have policies, sir. You really must wear shoes in the banquet hall. Why would I wear shoes if I don't have feet? You must wear something. 
It's unsanitary. Why don't you wear gloves? You touch things with your hands all the time. It's not, sir, he composes himself. He's done being polite. The other guests have ended their private conversations. I'm going to have to ask you to leave. I turn until I'm facing him and straighten. I'm still about three heads shorter than he is. Make me. He doesn't move at first, but then, instead of doing the smart thing, calling the police, he bends over and reaches for me. I lift my cane and thrust it with all my strength into his neck. He stops in mid-lunge, for a moment, wide-eyed and gasping. Then he falls back, clutching his throat. Excuse me, I say to the mater d'. Could you please call a waiter? One with a wine platter. I'm too damn short to get their attention. A woman nearby giggles. The rest of the audience is transfixed. Oh, yes, I announce broadly. Don't you love it? The mater d glares at me. Then, after a brief moment of indecision, he walks towards me rapidly with violence in his eyes. But he makes the same mistake as his boss and fails to notice my cane. I take this opportunity to strike him with my cane, squarely on both kneecaps. He collapses to the ground. I turn to Ms. Lu, who, to my surprise, is smiling. So, what do you think? Should I stand on your shoulders, perhaps, and flag down the next well-shod wine-bearer? Ms. Lu looks down at the men on the ground. The Mater D is attempting to get back up. I calmly close the small distance between us and hop onto his chest, pinning him to the ground. I'm only half your height, you know, I say. He wheezes. You are probably thinking, what can a little crippled monkey do to me? Well, firstly, technically, I'm an ape, not a monkey. Secondly, you probably don't know I'm able to generate more than twice an adult human's physical strength. I'm a wild animal, you little shit. You don't get to treat me like a baby. Also, the cane isn't for balance. It's for reaching the buttons on your blasted lifts. I get up and exchange a glance with Ms. Lou. We should go, she says, just a decibel above a whisper. I look at the guests around me. They stare in awe. I consider bowing, but that would be too posh. So, I wink at the girl who giggled earlier, and she covers her mouth. Then the police arrive. The smelly little cell they've given me. I'm going crazy. Aren't I? Ms. Lou argues with the policeman while I hang from the bars. It's quite invigorating. I really must take my pills. Ms. Lou looks at me, as if she's considering telling me something terrible. Go for it, I say. They say they're keeping you for the night, she says. That's fine. I'm rather enjoying myself. She looks worried. Look, I say, in a soothing tone as I jump down from the bars. I don't mind spending a night here. At least there isn't any bedding for me to destroy. And no, it's not the disease speaking. The disease can't speak. When I'm gone, you'll know, because I will have lost that capacity. I'm having fun. I've wanted to smack these children for years. I finally got the opportunity. They will likely press charges. I know that. I don't care. Please go get my pills and bring them to me. She nods. She's so close to the bars now that I can smell the distinctive fragrance that emanates from her inner thighs. I smile at her and she leaves. But two hours later, I'm not smiling. She's still gone and I can feel my mind slipping. I decide that whatever I do next is going to be embarrassing, so I might as well be asleep for it. I lie in bed and pray. The dream comes to me from beneath substance, just sounds and smells, the harsh cracking of wood, the strange musk of snakes warding off danger, the feel of beating hearts. Then it's all lights and cold air. Tauri? 
a concerned voice says. Mr. Towery? I look up, and through the bars I see Moira, standing before me in all her majesty. I leap from my bed and scramble to the bars. She recoils a bit in reaction to my vigorous movements. Then I just stare, clinging to the bars. I can't say anything. I can't seem to make words. Her pale eyes judge me calmly. She says something, but for some reason I can't understand her. She makes more noises and motions to something in her hand. She reaches her hand through the bars, holding a small object no bigger than a seed. A white pebble? I grab her hand and hold it tightly. She makes more noises. Not at me this time. At the other human standing behind her. She stares directly at me. I try to apologize. After a long time, the man comes back. He hands her something which diverts her attention. A banana. She peels it and pushes the strange pebble into its soft flesh. She thrusts it into the cage. A gift. I take it and begin to eat. My eyes open sluggishly. I prop myself up on the cot and stare through the bars. Ms. Lou seems deep in harsh negotiations with the officer in command. They bicker furiously, their whole bodies thick with emotional animation. I don't think chimps will ever use their bodies to communicate like people do. When we were programmed to talk, we never picked up all the many subtleties. I admire humans' ability to force every inch of their bodies into conveying meaning. Towery, Miss Lou says, noticing that I am conscious. She approaches the cell cautiously. Yes, I say. How do you feel? I feel fine. And you? I'm a bit fatigued, but I can't imagine it holds a candle to how you feel right now. I'm so sorry it took me so long to get your immunosuppressants. I couldn't find them. I think the maid threw them out, and I had to get you a new prescription. My documents weren't yet in order, and I... I'm so sorry. No need to fret. All is well. I seem to have my wits about me now. She looks at me with a steady gaze of deep guilt. She's seen me at my worst. She knows the wild thing that lives just beneath my skin. It won't happen again, she says. I wouldn't wager on that, I say steadily. My disorder is progressing. I meant, I won't let you down again, she says, for the first time breaking eye contact and looking away. So, am I to stay here another night? I wouldn't mind. It's really no more a prison than that hotel room. No, I'm posting bail. But you should know, the manager of the banquet hall is pressing charges. I assumed as much, but the trial won't be for a few months, and England extradites at the drop of a hat, so I'm sure they'll let me go back in the meantime. She looks stunned. You want to go home? She says. You really don't care? About the charges? Or the disease? No, not home. I want to go back to England. Home is where I'm heading minute by minute without fail. The Coens is making sure of that. She places her hand on the bars. I hope it will be a long time before... that. I really do hate job hunting. Right. I put my hand on hers. It feels soft and unreal, like clay. You thought I was Moira, didn't you? She asks quietly. Yes. It was, of course, because I lost my ability to recognize faces, and hers is most closely associated with human females in general. It's not the first time that's happened. What? Do you mean it's not the first time you've got your women confused? Or not the first time you've attacked a Mater D, been thrown behind bars, then lost all your higher brain functions? Hearing it told back to me, it suddenly seems far funnier than I had realized. The banana, I say. That was clever. Though a bit tacky. She laughs soundlessly. Tonight, she says, can we please spend the night in? A lovely idea. I agree. 
and as she heads back to the officer to arrange my bail, I suddenly notice the smell. The smell that I had noticed as soon as I awoke and had thought was the generic stink of a jail cell. The foul odor that was beginning to sting my nose. It wasn't the cell at all. It was me. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There you go. Story from 2011. Oh, man. T. Lucasil, thank you so much indeed. And T.F. Ahmed, amazing. Thank you. Keep on coming over, lad. Keep on coming over. <laughs> so, Yes. We have Andy Thomaswick now. Like I say, Andy, as if anyone's new to this kind of show, and Andy was way back, way back when we used to do like little segments. Loads of little different people used to do little different segments. Andy used to pop one in. But they got, you know, life got in the way. <laughs> Family, kids, work, the whole lot. But he's very kindly dropped one now. So, Andy... Hello again, everyone. I hope you're all staying safe in these very interesting times. I'm back again with another Hugo review, and this time we're going to take a break from the Broken Earth series and tackle the very first award winner to come out of Asia, The Three-Body Problem by Shishin Liu, the winner for 2015. The Three-Body Problem at its heart takes on what science fiction does best, tackling difficult and interesting scientific, cultural, and social questions in a way that is both entertaining and enlightening. The fact that it comes from a culture that most Western readers aren't particularly familiar with makes this book even more of an eye-opening experience. That does mean that a basic knowledge of relatively recent Chinese history is helpful to understand the full context of the book. For example, if you don't know who or what the Red Guards are, then the first chapter might seem disorienting. However, Liu uses that cultural and historical lens to take a deeper look at humanity that readers of any background can appreciate. The story itself isn't just limited to one period in time, but in fact spans several decades. However, the main purpose of the story seems to be to introduce numerous novel scientific concepts that are dispersed throughout the book. Many reviewers praise the ingenuity of Liu's scientific ideas and how they all mesh together well in the story. A particular favorite of mine is the use of a video game, one of my favorite hobbies, to look at some of the deeper philosophical underpinnings of the book's main conflict. While that concept has been explored before, I don't remember any other book where it had such a profound impact on the course of humanity. 
The character that takes the lead on exploring the video game is Wang Miao, a nanotechnology expert. He is joined as the main protagonist by a physics expert, Ye Wing Ji. When dealing with characters, the book shows the downside to the style of hard sci-fi storytelling, however. Despite being the protagonist for over half the book, Wang only ever passively reacts to events out of his control, rather than taking the traditional protagonist role of shaping outcomes. In addition, some of the dialogue of both Miao and his protagonist counterpart can come off as stilted. However, that may have more to do with the formality of interpersonal communication in the original Chinese that Western audiences just aren't used to. Most reviewers had other minor complaints, such as it taking a while for the story to really get rolling, and being moderately unhappy with the ending. Admittedly, the three-body problem is the first in a three-book trilogy, so the story is picked up and carried on from the end of this one. I myself struggle with a few of the scientific concepts described in the book, as they seemed a bit too much of a deus ex machina for me to be able to easily accept. Then again, I'm not a quantum physicist, so maybe the concepts described in the book are in fact feasible. But those kind of mind-bending, completely out-of-the-box ideas are what drew me to sci-fi in the first place, and this book is chock full of them. Even if they are hard to wrap your mind around, they are undeniably thought-provoking, which is what good science fiction should be. Combine that with the cultural and philosophical study, unlike any other sci-fi book I've ever read, and it becomes clear why this is the first Asian Hugo Award winner. That's it for this month. Next month, we'll be back to the Broken Earth trilogy with book number two, The Opalist Gate. Stay safe, everyone. And there you go. There you go, indeed. Andy, it's lovely to have you back on, sir, you know. Anytime you want, don't worry about don't worry about a time slot schedule. Uh, they them things don't work over here. So thank you very much, lad. So that is today's show. I do hope you've enjoyed it. Until next week, just like to say, good night from me. Thank you for listening.
I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there, out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there, out there by and by. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 